Friday, November 10th, 2023, is the 26th day of Cheshwan, um, and it is the first yard site of Revival Kohn, the author of Bati Shulchan. Um, when he died, he had they announced that he had asked to be no hispatim in writing or in person, and said people should learn his svarim, particularly on his shleshim and his yard site. Um, and then uh, sort of a, this is going to be a sort of a partial fulfillment of that request. Um, I'm going to be talking about some rulings on that re- things that related to kashras that he had said. Uh, of course, Badi Shulchan and Basel B'chav and Taruvas are filled with his rulings, and people learn from them all the time and make kashras decisions and rulings based on that. Um, but that's not what this is going to be. Um, rather, these are going to be from personal conversations that I had with him or similar sources of things that are not, to my knowledge, in this farm. Um, what I'm going to say, it doesn't necessarily reflect CRC policies or even policies of other hashkachas necessarily. It's really just just to highlight some things that he had said, um, just to bring them out in the way that we can. Uh, personally, uh, my connection is uh, my father knows him for decades, literally from before I'm born. Um, and I myself learned by him um, for three years um, when he ran a island for Akway um, and had dealings with him afterwards. Um, the things that I'm not going to talk I'm, again, I'm not going to talk about him himself, um, but he did have, <clears throat> aside from the 10 or so rulings I'm going to mention from him when I speak now, um, his <clears throat> lesser known effects on Kashas are uh, he, he had a role in my originally becoming involved in Hashkacha and my working originally for the OU at that time. Um, later, he discouraged me from printing a certain safer, a Kashas related safer that. Even to this day, has not been printed. Um, based on, but he discouraged me from printing that. Um, he discouraged me. Well, I wrote an article about uh, worms and fish, a specific one of my articles about it. Um, he didn't think that was a good idea, and I did not print because of that. Um, and uh, there was a time when a specific uh, uh, job in Cassius uh, became available or was offered to me, um, and he uh, did not think that was a good idea. And again, I. Did, do that. So in these different ways, uh, so these are very private ways that no one else would know about, um, and probably many other ways, he played a role in Hashkacha. Um, so now let's go into some of the <coughs> rulings <coughs> that he gave. Um, that Again, we're going to focus on rulings that he gave that uh, either to me directly um, or similar circumstances like that, um, or that are, that are particular that are not in this far. And the first like this. Um, the first two are going to have to do with um, the question about copepods in New York City water. Uh, these are these tiny little bugs that are in the water, <coughs> excuse me, in New York City water. Um, and the first thing was like this. Um, when, when you see these little copepods, when you see them, they look like little pieces of, I don't know, like, like pieces of dandruff. And if you, if you look at them <coughs> by yourself, most people would never recognize that those things are bugs. Um, under a... a, 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 a magnification of about 10 times, then you could start to see that there's something over here. The question is, if you can see a bug, but you can't um, recognize it, you just see it without magnification, you could just see it, but you can't recognize it, is that considered to be neural anatomy? Is that considered visible or not? Um, and so on this one, <coughs> excuse me, Fai wasn't giving his own ruling, but he asked, he asked Rabbi Yashav this question, and Rabbi Yashav told him that such bugs are considered neural anatomy, and therefore they're usher. Um, so that was the, the first step, which is of the first step regarding the copepods was to consider those bugs to be nearly nine. 
Uh, now, <clears throat> the truth is, with time, there were people who said they could recognize the unit of that magnification, but that, that's not what I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on um, this idea that <clears throat> if you could see something, but you can't recognize what, that it's a bug, he considered that to be, that it, that's considered visible enough to be considered nearly nine. Now, um, a little more complicated part of the Shiloh was like this. <clears throat> the Gemara says um, that if a bug is born, is spawned, and it de- depending on where the bug is born will depend on whether a bug might be mutter or usher. A, bug, a water bug might be mutter or usher depending on where it was born, uh, if it stayed in that original habitat. So the Gemara is like this. If it was born in Yam and Nechalim, it means lakes or rivers, then the bug is, then it's for sure usher. If it was born in a kli, in a container, meaning a container filled with water, what we call kalim, <clears throat> then they stay, then they're mutter until they crawl onto out of the water. Um, and the same thing applies if it's in a bar. I means it's a hole in the ground that has water collected inside of it. Um, but, uh, and then, uh, if it's haritzim ne'itzim, those are like canals, that has the status of water that's in yamun Okay, now, so, the, the, these two last two cases, bayras and haritzim ne'itzim, are the ones that are a little bit more questionable. Um, and the question is like this. A bar is similar to Kalim because the, the water in a bar, in a ditch, it just stays still. It's a tsurim. It just stays, it doesn't move at all. But the water in Haritzim Itzim is more like Yaman Chalim. It's more like a river or a lake because the water's in motion. Okay? So, <clears throat> so, based on, based, so, so here we have is if the water's in motion and it's uh, coming from a spring, Yaman Chalim, then it's for sure Asr. If it's in a, in a, in a kli, it's for sure mutter. Boyers are treated like kalim, and haritzim itzim canals are treated. Excuse me, like yam and chalim. Haritzim itzim are treated like yam and chalim, and the things there are also in them. So now, um, the, the way he described it, he broke up the the water delivery system in New York into one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven different. Um, stages of the river. Okay. The first there are rivers in the, in the Catskills and other places. That's the first step. Those feed into these huge reservoirs. That's the second step. Um, the reservoirs feed into aqueducts, very large aqueducts. That's the third step. To a holding pen in Kensico. That's the fourth step. Okay. Then um, <clears throat> from Kensico, it goes through pipes. That's the fifth step. Into a reservoir in, in a place called Hillside, which is just north of Westchester County. That's the sixth step. And the last is it goes from, from Hillside into water mains that go to, to the rest of New York City, to the houses, etc. Um, <clears throat> so now, <clears throat> the but by the time that the bugs come, I'm sorry, I'm sorry the copepods make their way to people's homes, they're already been killed. They're not going to walk on people's homes. At that point, once they leave the water, they're not going anyplace. So the rivers and the reservoirs, that means the first one was the cats, the, the, the rivers and the Catskills, and the reservoirs, uh, the, that was the second and the fourth. So there's a big reservoirs up in the Catskills, and the fourth is the Kensico holding pen, and the fifth is, the fourth is the Hillside Reservoir. All of those are obvious, to him were obvious that those are Yam and Nechalm. Those are huge lakes and rivers, and those are for sure, um, bug, if, if the copepods are born in those places, they're for sure us. What about in the uh, aqueducts and the pipes and the water mains? That was the, th- the third and the fifth and the, s- and the seventh. Um, he said those are Haritzim and Itzim. Okay, so the Haritzim and Itzim, the big flowing uh, canals, like someone built a canal that exactly had that status. Um, 
So some people wanted to say that, so that's how he's, and therefore he said, therefore, to, to think that they sh- the bugs should be, okay, the first step of this whole argument was that the bugs are nearly naive. But you want to say, okay, but they're ne- nearly naive, but they're born in a place where they wouldn't be also. He says, no, they're not. They're born either in Yaman, Chalm, or Haritzin, Itzim, and either one of those are reason to make the bugs also. Now, there were people who said, it, no, the, the aqueducts and the pipes and the water mains are considered to be uh, Kalim, because think about it, what's an aqueduct or a, or a pipe, uh, a water main? What I mean is a pipe that was stuck on the ground. So he says, first of all, is that kalim that are created, um, that built to be attached to the ground, have this do not have the status of kalim for all kinds of other halachas, including for this one. Second is that what, what's in, what the, the Gemara says that the difference between charitzin between a canal and a bar is in these halachas is whether the water flows or doesn't flow. Now, obviously, water flows through aqueducts and canals, aqueducts and uh, water mains and things like that. Obviously, the water is flowing through them. So even if it, it doesn't make a difference whether it's technically a clay per se. The feature of the clay that we'd have to look for is in a clay, the water just sits still, doesn't go anyplace, as opposed to in a, in a, in a canals, the water flows. And of course, here it's flowing through also. So for those those two reasons together were the a big part of being able to say that the water that the bugs and the, cop- the copepods in the water would be us and a person would have to filter them out. Okay, now let's move on to some issues having to do with Pesach. Um, <clears throat> most people, uh, most people nowadays, go to the rabbi and they tell him to sell all of their chametz to a guy for Arab Pesach. They get rid of a certain amount of their chametz, but the paper that they write to the rabbis doesn't say, I want to sell this box of cookies or this bottle of schnapps. It just says, I'm selling all the chametz that I have um, to the guard. I want you to sell it for me, all this chametz to the guard. So we have a problem. If that mechir happens, so let's say the, 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 um, on Erev Pesach, the person goes to burn their chametz at 9 o'clock in the morning. If the mechir happens before that, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, one more step. When you make you do you burn the chametz at nine o'clock, and at nine fifteen you're finished, and you you mevato your chametz. So if the mechir happens before, let's say the mechir happened at eight o'clock, then when the Jew goes ahead and burns the chametz, he's stealing, he's stealing from the guy because he it was it was just sold at eight o'clock, so he'd be stealing from it. Um, <clears throat> so to avoid that problem, <clears throat> it's common that the rabbis do the mechir's chametz. Later in the morning, so they'll schedule the mechir chametz for ten or eleven o'clock. <coughs> figuring by that time, most people have already been mavata the chametz. So the problem is that if I'm mavata my chametz, then I, I made it. It's it's a, a form of making it hefker. Um, in which case, you can't sell it anymore. So how could then? If so, if at nine o'clock I made I burnt the chametz and nine fifteen I was mavata any chametz that I was they didn't burn, then how can I do a mechira? So what's going on here? So either the, the mechir happens first, in which case you can't burn it, or the burning and bitl happens first, in which case you can't sell it. So which way? Which way is it? Um, so there, there, are, there are different possibilities of how it could work. I'm going to mention four possibilities. Every one of these have poskim who disagree with them, but these are four possibilities. And the question was, what's the truth? Or what's, what's really going on? So one is... Um, when a yid sells his chametz to the guy, he's retracting his bitl. Okay, now that's not the word works so well over here because the yid doesn't actually sell the chametz to the guy. The first answer would be to say is, if, if I literally go over to my next door neighbor and I say to him, "Here, please buy this box of cookies," I'm undoing my bitl. That doesn't work so well over here. Second would be is um, since he plans on selling the chametz, then as soon as he, um, as soon as uh, 
he's mavatlid, he reacquires it because he wants to make Mechiro, which of course causes us problems because then basically he didn't do Bittal. He owned the Chambat, he was not mavatlid. That's not too good either for Pesach. Um, so the third possibility is maybe Bittal doesn't work for things that you plan on selling. And the fourth is um, maybe the Bittal that I make doesn't work doesn't work instantly. It works later, at the end of the fifth hour, when, when Hamas become Masar Bahana, maybe that's when it, it you know comes into effect, in which case the Mechira happened, slipped in before the Bittal happened afterwards. Okay? Um, <clears throat> so revival said like this. He said, first of all, he said is that the Rabbanim where he lived in Flatbush at that time, he lived that's where he lived most of his life, say that any chametz that the Yid plans on burning, that he has set aside for burning, is not included in the Mechira. In other words, they tell us, you know the paper says that I'm selling you, people are selling all their chametz? That's not really the truth. Really what they're doing is they're selling only the chametz, all, most of their chametz, but chametz that they plan to burn does not include in the Mechira. And he said that the Chazanish um, says that everyone holds that there's such a thing as Yesh prayer when we make a Mechira. And therefore, I could even, I could even say what will be burnt isn't in the Mechira, uh, but they don't go exactly with that. So they the change whichever things will be designated with me. Not, not that I happen to burn. The things that I plan to burn, those are not included. Okay. So the person, <coughs> so the Chometz, <coughs> the person put on the side, <coughs> is not included in the Mechira. So he could burn it, and then he, he could burn what he can, and then he could do Bittal afterwards. Okay. That helps for a lot of the problems. Um, but... Uh, so the question is like this for now. What happens but if the person burns his chametz and he does bittel? So that, that, what I mentioned until now, would, or Fievel had said, was will work if the mechira happens earlier in the day. But what happens if the mechira, like usual, happens after the bittel? So then the mechira has nothing to work on because uh, the, the, the mechira has nothing to work on because the person did the bittel before the mechira happened. He sort of made it hefker. Um, so Fievel said, to that he said is, um, the 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 bittel that the person does is saying is I am a vatal anything that the mechira doesn't help for. In other words, it's sort of like I have to do. Chacham said you have to do get rid of your chametz and you have to be mavatal your chametz. But really, they're saying that in order to make sure that one of them at least will work. And that's basically what the person is saying is that I'm being mavatal anything that I haven't gotten rid of through mechira. Okay, so I want whatever's going to work. That's what I want to work. And um, <clears throat> and somehow that works, e- even though the two things seem opposite of each other. But the point is, the person is saying is I'm covered, and that's what Chazal had in mind that you should be covered. Um, and therefore, the person made sure they, they took care of that by doing the bittel and the mechira, even though in a certain sense they can't both work. Now, again, I'm, I'll, I'll mention all of this is, has to do with the way we do mechiras. It'd be very different if you actually just did sold, uh, you know a box of spaghetti to your next-door neighbor, which how it was done, you know, 100 years ago, okay? Also, he mentioned in passing um, that the Shtar Mechira says that they're selling all the chametz and even the Safa chametz, um, which is to say is that includes foods that no one really has any idea, like you have a bottle of ketchup, you have no idea whether the vinegar in there is chametz or not chametz, no one can figure that out, so he says that's including the Mechira sort of automatically. Okay, let's go on to another thing. Um... There was a question, a question about medicine, taking medicine, which is Chametzik and Pesach. So, um, <clears throat> here, here's the question. Um, if a person is a Chayla She'en Boy Sakana, so he can't be over an Isurim but he can um, do Isurim Darbanan that will help him get better. 
So, for example, uh, he could eat chametz lekederach hana asan in an unusual, atypical way. He could eat chametz like that because that's only asan zarbanan. And therefore, since he's a chalashem basakana, he could eat chametz, and that might help him to eat. When we're talking about medicines that are liquid or chewable and they're considered somewhat edible, eating them if you could eat them in a way that lekederach hana asan, which is not unreasonable, he, if he could do that, then he would he would avoid the problem of eating chametz on Pesach. Because he's a chayla who's allowed to eat that kind of chametz, and he, he ate it. I'm sorry, he, to eat a chametz in a way that's like chilasam, and therefore he can get, so to speak, get away with it, and he'd solve that problem. The problem is that on Pesach there's an issa deraisa to own chametz, so it could be that when he eats the chametz, like he, he ate them in a way that's only asam and rabbanan. But the chametz is still is still edible, and if it's edible, then it's awesome the rice. Forget about to eat it, he, because he's going to avoid the issa the rice of eating by eating a shlokiderach hanasan. But there's an issa the rice to own the chametz, chametz that's edible. You're not allowed to own. So how is he going to get? Is there a way to get around that problem? So the question was a possible solution of a way that he could, so to speak, get around that. And that is the prima Gaudan says like this: If a person, the prima Gaudan talks is talking about a chayla. He says there's a chayla who needs to use a cream on Pesach. So he says, so the the Rubbing in the cream, he'll do in a way that's like That's fine. He says, "Is what about owning it?" He says, "I'll tell you what." He says, "The the, the din is, if you if you own chametz on Pesach, but you have in mind and you actually carry through on it, you have in mind to get rid of it before the end of Pesach. The owning of that chametz is only us. It's only isadurabbanon that person owned that chametz on Pesach. Um, the, the, to be over midderaisa, you have to either acquire it on Pesach." Or you have to own it through the entire Pesach. But if you plan on getting rid of it while it's still Pesach, and you actually do carry through on that, you get rid of it, then it's then it, you only open it upon it. So the Prima Gaudan says, so let him do that is, by the end of the seventh day, meaning when the when the derise would finish, let him get rid of the Chamas, then have that in mind and get rid of it. Use it until that day, then he gets rid of it. And then it'll have only been the Rabbanan, and since it's the Rabbanan, the Chalil Shem is allowed to use it. So the, so the question for Revival was, okay, so... Let's do the same thing. Forget about it for a cream. Let's do it by eating it. And that's and the question is based on the Balamara says that eating chametz is a form of beer. It's a form of hashpasa. You destroy the chametz when you eat it. So so if so, but if if I say, let's say the person needs uh, one pill every day, so he could do is make sure he has only seven pills. He'll eat one pill each day of each of the first seven days of Pesach, which are the the, the rice days of Pesach. By the seventh day, he will have destroyed. All the chametz destroyed it not in a in a classic you know you know uh, I don't know throw it into the ocean kind of destruction but destruction by eating it so that's his way of, of getting isa down to an isa to Rabbanan, in which case he as a chalashem is allowed to do that and that was a question for five is that okay and he said no listen he says, he says so many rishonim argue with the balamor and hold <clears throat> that that's not considered a form of hashbasa that you cannot rely on that that's not an etza. Um for a person to, as a way to get rid of their chametz, to say, I, 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 I'm sorry, for a way for the chayla to eat chametz on Pesach, okay, one more Pesach question, um, I'm, I'm not going to go into all the details, so the question is quite, was complicated, um, and the question, but the question, the question itself is not complicated, the, the details of how we got to the question and the answer are complicated, um, <clears throat> but the, the overall question was, <clears throat> we have vinegar, um, which is and, and similar things like that, and you don't know whether it's chametz or kidneys. In the United States, most of them are made from kidneys. Um, most of those types of things, let's say f- vinegar, almost is usually made from corn. It can be it can be chametz liquid. 
Um, so the question is, <coughs> is, it a, is a person allowed to own something like that on Pesach when there's a, a roiv that says that it's um, kidneys, but the possibility that it's chametz has to do with questions about yavish but yavish. So it's a quite a, the question itself was quite complicated. Um, I'm just going to mention the conclusion, which was um, since excuse me, the majority, the vast majority of these things, the glucose and the starch and the all these, the enzymes are from actual kidneys. The person is allowed to keep them on vinegar, um, it, and when they're of unknown origin, you don't know if it's chametz or kidneys. Then you, you're allowed to keep it, assuming that that thing is um, kidneys. Okay, now let's move on to some kashrut questions. <coughs> uh, two kashrut issues. The first is about spray dryers. So, um, a long time ago, um, the the date I'm talking about here is in the 1990s. Uh, the, the end of I'm sorry, the end of 1990, uh, and which and the question was how to kashrut spray dryers. Um, spray dryers, I'll say quickly. It's this big machine, um, and it's a big. Basically, a big empty chamber, and it's you know there's a fire burning that makes it very hot. The inside of the air is very hot in it, and you spray water in a very thin, in a very fine mist. And what happens is, it's so the water is so in such tiny droplets, and the air is so hot that the water boils out. So let's say you spray in coffee into there, so all the water boils out of what was the coffee, leaving behind just the powder, and that's what we call instant coffee. Um, so. <clears throat> So the question is, how do you cash the spray dryer and do you need to do Hagola, which is possible, or to, you know, not easy, but it's possible to do Hagola, or does it need Libun because uh, it's, it's it basically there's no liquid. But the, the, whatever hits the walls of this device are all are solids um, because by the time it hits the, hits the walls, it's a powder. So the question is, does this need Libun or Hagola? It's a very uh, big question going on. At that time in 1990, and, and that around that times about whether what was the correct way to cash them, um, and a lot of the uh, discussion revolved around an article that Rabbi Yaakov Lubin from the OU wrote about that shaila at that time. He wrote a, the shaila, you know, with, with lots of detail. Um, wrote out the, the <laughs> excuse me the shaila and his and his thoughts on it in lots of detail. And he spoke he spoke to lots of people about that. So I have. Um, I didn't speak to Rafael about that question myself, but I have Rabbi Lubian wrote notes on his on the side of his article. Um, the notes are dated uh, December thirty first, nineteen ninety, and he says like this. I'll, I'll read the words that he wrote. Uh, he said basically agrees that it's called al haish and kabbalah kama and kabbalah kapolta is a weak heter. However, since it's only mechur, maybe you could play with kabbalah kapolta and b'semuch on hakoyes marmini, but very weak. Let me explain what he was trying to say, or what he appears to be saying. is One question here is, is this considered to be it's al ha'esh or non-al ha'esh? Is this cooking on the fire? If it's cooking on the fire, that's what you need. That's when you need libun. If it's off the fire, then um, it only needs hagala. You know, if a, a dry piece of food falls on something off the fire, it only needs hagala. If it's on the fire, and there's no liquids, and it needs libun. So he says, so he's saying, or if I was saying, basically it seems like it's al ha'esh. The, the 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 reason why it should not be possibly is why it should possibly not be al age is because there's no fire in this spray dryer or even on the very outside of the spray dryer it's a little distance away and um here it's get, the heat gets blown in from the fire so revival is saying is no basically that's considered al age so what about the fact that maybe we should kasher it the way we use it maybe that should be okay it only it didn't it came kasher al age like this maybe you can get away with a weaker libun and he goes nah. He wasn't. He wasn't 
didn't think that Kabbalah Kach Palta could work on it. Um, he says, but then at the end, he says, maybe it could be some kind of that, you know, lower temperatures are considered to be Liban, that's considered Liban Kal, maybe, that's considered Liban, maybe. He says, and over here, <coughs> he says, since it's only Mechur, which is to say is, and that's, that's, that's like a code word over here, which is to say is that um, Ramosha has a tshuva where he says that if you use a, when you use a kli that's in a binyamai, the food that's made on that kli is 100% kosher. Kosher even lechatchila. The only is there is is for the person who who produced the food on that kli. That person he didn't isser by producing it on the kli. So he says that isser that isser drabanan of using a kli that's in a binyamai only applies to yidden. The, a, a company that's owned by not Jewish people they don't have that isser. So for them, <clears throat> but it's mechur. Uh, it, it's it's disgusting. We might say nicely. We might say inappropriate that we should give hashkachan on a company doing something that we ourselves would not be allowed to do. We wouldn't be allowed to use a kli that's in the to make kosher food if we didn't if we didn't kosher that kli first. The guy doesn't have that problem. So to, for us to give hashkachan, that's what mechur. So Rafi was saying is since it's only an issue of mechur, but already the kli is going to be in the anyhow. So maybe you could say in that case it could be Balakach Poltai, Samachanagarismaimini. But again, he ends up <coughs> it's very weak and he, he wasn't he obviously was not very happy about using that kind of kasha. Okay, and the other kasha related question is um regards to kashering plastic. And that is um uh, there there are Ramosha held well, hold on, before we get to Ramosha himself, is that the Torah says you can kasher uh metal, and the Gemara says that means also wood and and stone can be a kasher. And Terry says, you can't kasher, you can't use hagola on cheres. Um, so the question is, so, so the, and there are many different materials, and the place can talk about different materials. Um, basically, there's all these ones that you can kasher, and there's cheres and certain related ones, maybe glasses like cheres, and certain ones like that, that we can't, that we cannot do hagola to. So the question came up, okay, what's with plastic? It's a, it's a new material. Is that like cheres that you can't kasher it? Or it's like metal that you can't kasher it? You can't do hagola to it. So Ramosha was of the opinion that it's like um, that, that we, we can only cash the materials that we have um, precedent that we're allowed to cash them. Any new material that comes up, we're stuck and we can't cash it. So he said you should not cash a plastic. And Rafenkin and, and other post community as well took the opposite approach. They said is look, the Torah said don't cash a cheres because <clears throat> it absorbs so much. If you have another material that doesn't have that property, then we don't, then we can cash it just like metal. Okay, and they would allow cashing a plastic. Um, so I asked him, what does he think about that? Um, so he said, listen, if there was a shas atchak, um, he would tell somebody that they could cash a plastic. But in general, he wasn't so sure which way to say, whether he should or shouldn't do it. Um, and he, he, he thought that it was just a, it was like a question. He wasn't ready to give a, a specific answer on whether you should cash or not. He said, listen, if it's a real shas atchak, <coughs> um, he, he, his, an example that he sort of gave of that was like a person moves into a house and now they're going to do a one-time kashering to move over from trades to kosher. Um, so he thought that was a, a bit of for tell a person that you have to cover their counter or their tables forever. Um, but so for Shas al he said, yeah, and then he'd be masking that a person could kasher plastic, um, like what I was describing for Micah. Um, but otherwise, he, wasn't, he wouldn't, didn't want to give a, a clear answer on that thing. Okay, now let's do um, two two more shilos. Um One of them has to do with tefillas kalim, and that is um, I'm going to give some background on the question. Uh, that there's there's a whole many people talk about whether uh, a person is required to to toggle electrical appliances like a Keurig machine. 
Um, the CRC position happens to be you don't have to. Um, but <clears throat> what about for the people who think that you do? You see, just because it's electrical doesn't make a difference. You have to you have to table it if you want to use it. So the thing is that people are afraid to table it because they're afraid it's not going to work afterwards. Okay, so they're trying to avoid titling it. But there are those who hold that you in fact have to title them anyhow. So somebody in Lakewood came up with this interesting idea. And he said uh, he said like this. He said the Chachosan says that if you have a, a clay <clears throat> that a guy made and it basically needs to feel before you to feel scale before you use it. But it got broken to the point that you can't use it anymore. And then a yid came along and fixed it. A yid came along and made it usable. Then it's as if the yid created that clay from scratch, and you don't have to title it because it's a, a yid made it. If a yid made it, you don't have to title it. Okay. Now in that in that discussion, this chacham sadam, it's understood that it doesn't just mean is like let's say you have a I don't know something and you make it you just take the cover off you you take it apart in an easy way to be fix it that doesn't count. When we say I mean, it's broken, it has to have been so broken that it would take an uman, somebody with a skill, you know, who has knows what he's doing in order to fix it. But if you just break something simple, like like imagine you pull a plug out of the wall, so you say, oh, it's broken, it doesn't work now. That's silly because and the yid, if a yid just plugs it back in, that doesn't count. That doesn't the yid didn't do anything. It had to be that it was truly broken. It was like not functional, um, and, and it would take an uman to fix it. If, if it takes an uman to fix it, <clears throat> then if that uman who does the fixing is a yid, then that's considered you'd make it and no feels can't. You don't need to type it. Okay, so what happens, this person linked with it is like this. He, excuse me, he learned he had to open up a cure machine and um, in way, and he, what he did, he, he played around with the in, internal workings of the machine and he figured out how to break it in a way that would take an uman to fix it and and then he said, he did it like this. You bring him the machine. He brought in the machine. And, and a curing has to boil up water. And it has to pump water. So if the electrical connections are not working inside, the whole machine is worthless. It doesn't work at all. So what he did was, there, was, there were wires um, that helped it function that were welded together, soldered together. I'm sorry, soldered together. And what he did was like this. He would, he would unsolder that connection. So to break now the wire, now the machine doesn't work. And then he would solder it right back on. So he would unsolder it. Then he would re-solder it. The whole thing took him a few minutes, the whole thing to do. He was, you know, he was very familiar with the machines. He unsoldered it, soldered it back together. He says, good. Now it was made by Yid. Now it doesn't need to be titled. Now it's perfect, like the Chofsam says. Um, so he showed this machine, his well, his procedure to Shmuel Marikatz. He's a Pisikin liquid. And he was good. He was happy with it. He said, look, you know, when the, when the, when the, uh, Pumping and, and electrical parts don't work. The things that hold water in the Keurig, then, then they're so non-Kalim that they don't even the, the, the that pump on the inside couldn't even stand on its own legs. Okay, it, it, it's it doesn't even it has these like legs coming out of it. You, if you start on the table, it would fall right over. So it was like literally worthless. It's not a clear at all. It has no function at all. And therefore, when you solder it and make it now function as a curing machine, then that's that's what <clears throat> you made into a clear. Revival also agreed with this idea. He had it from a different angle, why it's worthless. He said is, if you don't have a pump in here, and you want to just say that that canister on the inside of the Keurig functions as a cup, he said, okay, it could be a cup, but it's not a cup that you could use for making coffee. It doesn't work. It doesn't have, it's not, the electrical parts don't work. Doesn't work. He says, it's like, imagine if a person has a cup that they use for um, watering flowers. Okay, that's how they keep do, this cup. You don't have to title that, because it's not used for food. He says, over here also, this, 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 the canister that's in the Keurig machine 
It has no food use. It can't do anything for food because you can't cook water up in it. So maybe you could put water into it, but it has no functional use. And therefore, he says, okay, so we're good. You can, by breaking that, by making it not work as a, as a pot that can cook up water, you've now made it, uh, uh, broken the machine in a way that only Uman can fix it. And uh, when the Uman, a yid, fixes it, now it doesn't need to feel. Okay, well, that's, that was so far so good. What happened was, uh, <clears throat> it turns out <clears throat> that when the person takes out, uh, you know, breaks the solders, uh, soldering, however you do that, uh, and he gets ready to put it back in, what's left behind is that the wire fits, the, the place where the wire needs to be reattached is not uh, just soldered together. There's actually a metal loop, like a ring, and the, the wire fits right into that. When you put the wire in, now it's sitting in the right place, now you solder it to help make it stay in place. So, that means to say is that if you, the soldering is what holds it in place, but it the connection is there perfectly fine even if you don't solder it into place. Just the metal wire sitting sitting through the loop, through the little hole that's there, what makes it work. So the soldering doesn't make it function. The soldering is what makes it stay put. So actually, what's going on here is that it takes an uman to break the cleat. It takes an uman to take off the soldering because me and you, most people can't, you know, do unsolder something by themselves. No problem. Most people can't even solder it back on by themselves. True. An uman needs to do both of those jobs. But the so the breaking t- took an uman and the making it permanent takes an uman. But the in-between to make it functional didn't take an uman. Any anybody could just stick the wire back into the hole. Um so so the question the question now for a final now was <clears throat> was well an uman broke it. That doesn't mean anything. What does it take to fix it? It doesn't take an umwan to fix it. Seemingly, you could just stick the wire into the hole, and that should make it. That makes it work again. So, here's for five. What he thought about that, and he said, "Is look." He says, "If by sticking the wire into the hole, you could make," he says, ten cups of coffee, and it'll, and it'll work without soldering. In other words, it's it's reasonably functional. It may not be permanent. Eventually, the wire is going to you know, get jiggled out of the hole. But if it could reasonably function to make, and he said, ten cups of coffee, then um, that's considered that it was it was. It's doing in his words. Me'ain malachter rishayna. This is like a, 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 a tuma or a, a muktza type of language. It's still basically functioning the way it was supposed to be, and therefore the fixing did not take an uman, and therefore um, this eitz is not going to work. So we tried it. Um, we unsoldered it, and we just stuck the wire back into the hole, um, and it made way more than ten cups of coffee. It just kept on going. We just stuck it in. Excuse me. Put a little post-it note on top of it. To, to hold it in place a little bit, but that wasn't a new one to put a post-it note on it. <clears throat> uh, and it kept on going. Um, so it would appear that, according to the way Revival told us how to, how to look at it, that that would not be considered a good etza for how to uh, make the clean not need to. Uh, just as a, a postscript to that, is that somebody else, when someone else, another person thought about the Shiloh, he said is, he says, you know, even putting the wire back into the hole takes an umon. Because uh, uh, people have who know where to put the wire in. Even even that idea of putting it into the hole itself was an uman. You know, others didn't agree with that. They said, "What? If you look, you see a wire dangling, and you see a hole where it fits into. It seems pretty obvious um, that that's where the wire belongs in that hole. You know, it's not working because there's a wire dangling there, and there's a hole right where it fits into. So that's a question of <clears throat> um, how how." Uh, knowledgeable you think people are, whether that's considered an uman or not. Okay, that's like a postscript. Okay, and, and our last thing is, um, this is not something that I, this is secondhand, or maybe even thirdhand over here, and that is, um, there's a questions about uh, whether a mummer 
um, a person who's a mummer um, creates stamyain. Or his, I'm sorry, if he touches wine, does that wine become also a stamyain? <clears throat> um, I mean, so th- there's discussion about that. And, and in fact, yes, it would. Uh, so uh, the question is like this. If that's true, um, well, now we go a step further. You know, the question I'm probably going to talk about is what happens if a mummer uh, cooks food? Uh, the reason, I'm sorry, the reason why if the mummer touches the wine is because mummer is dinakaakum. So what happens if the mummer uh, bakes food or he cooks food? Is that bishalakum and pasakum? And if it is, does that mean is the mummer, the din would say is he's not allowed to eat the food he cooks himself? Seems a little odd. I mean, maybe that's true because if his food is bishalakum, well, you're not allowed to eat bishalakum. So it's it's bishul, his own bishul, but he might not be allowed to do that. Um, <clears throat> so um, Rabbi Reis brought from Ramosha. Ramosha says no, even though uh, the wamachmir that the wine touched by a mummer is aser, even so he could drink his own wine. Okay, he could drink his own wine. Um, Rabbi Frank Friedman but told me um, that Rabbi said that no, you should not give non bushel wine. To a uh, mummer, because if you do, um, you'd be machshel and he's going to drink stamyayin. When you give him wine that's not mavushel, his touch when he touches the wine or he pours the wine, <clears throat> that will make it stamyayin, and then he won't be allowed to drink it. So if you give him wine that's not mavushel, you'd be machshel that tomorrow he's going to drink that wine. Okay. Anyhow, um, Ramosha maybe is con- connected to the fact that maybe he thought that people weren't such mumrim, maybe has different dinim, uh, you know, that might be related to that. Uh, those, those are sort of not for today's question, but revivals, at least it was quoted to me, this is secondhand, um, hearing that he said that, um, that maybe, <coughs> um, that he said you should not give non voshal wine to the mummer because then you'd be marshal him, because he's, he's not allowed to drink it, and you'd, therefore you'd be marshal him um, to do it in this room. Okay, it should be as close and as